right, so session eight, living as Christ, salvation is demonstrated through God-honoring lives. And this will be uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 24. And uh, we'll get on with that. So here we are, 1 Thessalonians 12. We're going to do verses uh, tw yeah, 5, 12 through 13 as we start. Somebody read that nice and loud. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Wait, you're gone past 13. Yeah, I, just, I realized that. Yeah, I was like, wait, huh? Oh, you're on a roll, right? Yeah, yeah. roll. <laughs> there you go. All right, so... I really struggle with this one because it's kind of self-serving as I, I'm one of the pastors. But the teaching here um, is extremely important, uh, especially in our day and age, especially as Americans. We don't honor or respect leaders a whole heck of a lot uh, now. But even years back, uh, church leaders really weren't respected or honored. Ever since the, I guess probably with the advent of Darwin's origin of species, um, academia has embraced the concept of evolution, which led to the liberalization of many of the seminaries and schools, um, so that in the early part of the 1900s, Many pastors that went to seminary were suspect in their views because the schools had embraced uh, much of the liberalism of Darwin and uh, began that slide. And so as churches, I, I came out of a denomination where the pastor was not considered part of the church. Hmm. He was neither a member of the church itself, or uh, a part of the board. He was kind of just somebody from the outside and was um, a hired talking head. <coughs> and so he had no vote, and he had no control over anything. And so a church that just decided they didn't like him for whatever reason, um, they would just can him. And it was a denomination that, um, they had parsonages for the pastor. It was part of his compensation um, and, and stuff. And so when they would fire you, you were homeless. Um, and as my, as growing up with that, uh, I saw many pastors just absolutely ruined and destroyed. And it wasn't because of anything they did. It wasn't like there was an issue. Um, or the issue was that they were calling somebody from the congregation out on a sin. Uh, one of them had a, uh, one of the elders was sleeping with his secretary and everybody knew it and shouldn't have been an elder, but the church, his family was a founding family of the church. We can't, we can't drag this guy out. So they got rid of the pastor instead. Uh, it's, it's not until the next pastor did the same thing, right? Uh, no, no, because then you go and you hire a pastor that, that is of your bent, okay. see? And so. Yeah. I think this is a little self-serving in my case as a pastor, but I think this is vitally important because 
the church leaders aren't honored in our day and age. They're questioned. They're argued with. Uh, some of the emails that Chris gets that he shares with me about people complaining about the most ridiculous things, it's like, uh, he's, uh, you, you know, okay, so you've studied scripture your whole life. He spent his whole life doing this, writing it, he's been to school for it. You don't argue with the engineer who comes to tell you how to build your house. You want to put an addition on, you got to hire an engineer and get all the the government documents stamped with all that. Nobody argues, well, I don't want that beam there. Now, you may suggest that maybe we could do it a different way to put a beam so that it's not there. But if he says that's where it's got to be, it's got to where it's got to be. But yet we feel free to argue with a guy who's spent, you know, six, ten years in school studying to do this and, and all that. And, and you don't even, I mean, he reads you know, Greek, Hebrew, and all that, you're like, yeah, I don't know anything about those languages, but I don't, I think you're wrong. Well, that may be true, but to argue with them um, in such a manner, I, it, it's, yeah, it, it's a tough calling, because everybody's got their view of stuff, and nobody, nobody agrees fully. I mean, even Chris and myself, we, we agree on just about everything, but we don't agree on every point of scripture, because there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that's left unsaid. I mean, I don't know what Jesus ate for breakfast. You'd be amazed how many people will argue over that. Or Adam and Eve, did they have belly buttons? I know churches that split over that question. You laugh, they do, yeah. I never even thought about it. <laughs> you never even thought about it. Oh, now you got something to do this afternoon. I don't even work more in your community. Belly buttons from the umbilical, umbilical cord. Did they I have one? Yeah. Wow. Uh, people argue. Look, the whole young earth, older earth argument. That's, that, that's been huge in the church in the last 20, 30 years. Nobody, does it matter? It really doesn't. God created the earth. If we can agree God created the earth, the when and how is irrelevant. Yeah. It's a nice debate, academic debate to sit and discuss that. Sure, I've done it myself. But to, to do that and dishonor the man who's spent his life serving the Lord over something so silly. So let's look at this. But it's somewhat interesting because Chris will refer periodically to things that people I'll say discuss with him. He doesn't get any names right or anything. No, I understand no. that. But you can tell that it's somewhat on his Yeah. It, it bothers him. You could you could sense it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and rightly so. So here we are. This is um part of our outline. This is uh, part seven. Concluding ex exhortations. Ugh, I can't talk this morning. And blessings. We're going to start out by looking at respecting leaders. Now, understand, this is Paul. This is a command to the Thessalonians that they are to respect leaders. Leaders should be hardworking. Now, look, we've got a lot of, there are a lot of churches out there. The pastors make a buttload of money, and they don't do a whole lot of anything. Um, I'm thinking Jim Baker, you know. And guys, Olstein, not that I would consider him a Christian, but <laughs> there's a lot of big churches with a lot of big money, and these guys make a lot of money, 
and they don't necessarily do a whole lot. Um, there's, we're supposed to be hardworking. Uh, we're supposed to be instructors. Those who are leaders should be instructing in some manner. Uh, and Paul says that they're supposed to be leading. Um, a lot of leaders don't lead. Leading means you get out in front and you show people where they're going, which means you're living a, the, a life that's proper. Don't It's not one of those, do what I say, don't do what I do. There's a lot of that nonsense in the, in the churches nowadays. But when we're respecting leaders, that's what we're respecting, which in any other organization, business, government, whatever, if you have leaders that are doing that, they're, they're well-respected managers. You get a good manager, he's going to be hardworking, he's going to lead, and he's going to instruct, he's going to help move his people that are under. You've worked, I'm sure you've worked for guys like that. People like that that are top-notch managers. Well, that's what the leaders of the church are supposed to be. I consider it a privilege to work with the elders that we have, because they are. The amount of hours that they put up, the deacons... Uh, many of them spend weekends here doing, fixing, repairing, upgrading um, the hours of emails that go back and forth as we're discussing issues and things. We're getting ready for the budget season coming in this fall. That's always fun. And the, the, the three-man deacon team will spend hours together to put that together to make sure we're going the right, you know, right way and all that. They are. They're some of the best I've ever worked with. Um, as leadership for a church. Church members, though, should honor these people. They're worthy of honor, Paul says. They put their lives out there. Now, in our society, it isn't a death sentence. In Thessalonica, it, it, you were likely to get jail time to be the leader of a church. Many of the leaders of those churches, it was their house that the church met in. Um... But it could be a, a jail sentence or even death as we get it, as you get farther into the time uh, Nero's hunting Christians and stuff. Well, we saw Stephen by Paul himself hunted him down and had him stoned. One of the leaders of the church. They should be appreciated. We all have our part to play. The body of Christ is like a body. And there are people that are in that do the work of the church. They're the people that are the head of the church. And there are people that just kind of support it. I mean, if you think about all the internal parts you have in your body, nobody talks about the blood unless it's coming out. <laughs> but it carries all the nutrients and all the oxygen, and none of the rest of the body would function if it didn't do that. Well, you know, that's, that's like all the church members that donate to support all the different things so that we can make meals, so that we can pay the pastors, so that we can have the building, so that we can pay people to clean. There's, there's a lot of all that stuff that goes on that we all have to do and work together to do it. And there's specialties. Some of us specialize in pastoring. That's what we do. I don't know a whole lot about other things, but, you know, and, and that's fine because all of you have have had jobs and careers where you're, you know what it is you do. I don't know anything about water treatment. <laughs> I, I would be at quite a loss. I go over to the faucet and I turn it on. 
As long as it comes out, it's good. Right. But, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we need somebody that, that knows how to do that sort of thing. And it's not any less important than what I'm doing. I, this is what I do. That's what you do. We're all good. So we need to appreciate that. And I think in our society, we're so combative over issues of religion that even in the church, we want to fight and argue and we don't do we don't show a lot of appreciation um, to pastors and to that. Not that I feel that it's way here, but it is what's going on in our society. Um, even other pastors from other churches, I don't think uh, Christians don't appreciate. So people from outside of their church, and you know, we're all Christian brothers. So we don't all worship the same way and stuff. Uh, some of them are not maybe Christians and they're, they're just churches but you know we talk down about them over there you know I, I don't know how often I hear about that well yeah that church over there no 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 they're, they're, their church they're not of the same stripe that we are but that doesn't make them less God honoring and their ministers are doing is God's work as well we work with a lot of them to do larger things particularly Steve with the youth group He's connected with so many youth pastors in the area. He's, he's absolutely incredible. Oh, it is. His networking is amazing. Um, Chris knows everybody. I mean, it's not just pastors. I, 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 you know, I'm like, oh, we had a visitor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to grade school with their, their second cousin twice removed on their maternal grandfather's side or some, some crazy thing. I'm like, He's been here forever, right? Yeah, there, there's the like nobody and knows. lived in the same town forever. I know that, but people move okay, in all the time. I'm like, you know, this guy just moved here from Uganda. He's like, oh, yeah, I know him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy. Baseball, right? <laughs> yeah, played baseball for him or something. <laughs> right. Appreciation, though, not just, it doesn't, this doesn't just extend to our church and Chris and Steve and me and all the elders and all the deacons. The leaders from other churches, unless they are a cult, flat out teaching heresy, um, they should be. You, you should appreciate and honor them because they're serving their community. We live in a much larger society nowadays. People travel. People didn't travel back then. That was one of the things that amazed me when I was in Israel. Was these small towns were not that far apart. I mean, by driving, it was less than ten minutes. From town to town. From Nazareth to Cana. You know, they talk about the wedding Jesus went to in Cana. You read that and you're like, oh man, that must have been quite the haul. It's around the corner. I mean, you go around the other side of the mountain and a little bit, and there's Cana. You just took a long because it was all by foot. But, well, <laughs> it, it was long because it was, you know, it's probably half a day's journey away yeah. on foot, but it wasn't that far. Now, half a day's journey puts us on the far side of Ohio. Or more. I mean, you you can get we we can get hundreds of miles. I mean, I make the trip to South Carolina in one shot. Yeah. You know, it's ten hours, twelve hours to drive that far. That's a day's journey. Yeah. And that's uh, what about eight hundred miles? So if I can do, I can do four hundred miles in a day in comparison. So we have churches that cover bigger areas instead of the one town, one little local church that was there. So we need to appreciate them. And lastly, we need to follow. Um, church members, if you've decided that you're 
going to be part of a body, uh, you, you need to follow your leaders. And then finally, Paul tells us we need to live in peace. That means we're not picking fights and arguing and all that. Lively discussion over something is fine, but when it turns ugly, um, that's when we need to be living in peace. And comments, questions? I find myself thinking that a different part of this is, is that a lot of generations after us have less and less respect for authority in general, yes. which is tied to this as far as I'm concerned. And that, that, that's irritating as all get out to me. Well, it's even worse than that because they're, they're also entitled. <clears throat> yeah. uh, the church, unfortunately, now we don't, we're, we're not that way here, um, but the church generally has become a business. Um, we hire and fire people based on results. And let's face it, the results aren't on us. Uh, I stand here and teach. Some weeks I've got 20 of you. Some weeks I've got 30 of you. Uh, what's the result? The result is that you learn something and go home and apply it to your life. That's the result. Not how many people sit in my class. And that's a, that's a tough thing. It's tough to When quantify. everything is built on a capitalistic, driven, move-forward sense, and then you come to the church, and numbers aren't the game. Now, I track a lot of the numbers because I, I need them for planning. But it, isn't, it, it doesn't indicate whether the church is doing the right thing, whether it's healthy or anything else. Uh, let's face it, Satan wants nothing more than to keep us from here. So he's actively working against you being here. He's got other plans. COVID was one of them. Yeah, well, I, actually, I don't know. I think COVID did a lot more good for the church than it was a harm. Um, I, I think it separated a lot of the people that were playing at church out of the church and has shrunk some of them because a lot of the churches that I don't think were very great churches and weren't necessarily teaching the true gospel closed because people realized that it was just a social gathering. Um, and the people that were in those churches realized, you know what, this isn't what I wanted. And they started coming to other churches. And we've shrunk the Christian community down to those who are more likely to be believers as opposed to the idea of a cultural Christianity. Um, and we, we've eliminated a lot of... Christianity's gotten easy, and a lot of churches have become social clubs. Uh, especially, especially in marketing. Um, I don't know how many times I run into people who come to church because they can push uh, a marketing scheme, whether it's Amway or, or any of those um, multi-marketing <laughs> schemes. Churches are a great way to build that up. Um, and I, there's been a lot of that in the last 20, 30 years that have built up. And um, Yeah, we used to do it for a couple of years. Well, it it's not, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, but there are people that that's the only reason they attend church, <laughs> is that they're making those contacts. Yeah. Uh, because Christians are, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that are, the, if you're a Christian, you're going to buy this product nonsense that goes up. You should see the catalogs I get uh, for, for stuff. There's a thing called church chairs. And they're, they're, church, they're chairs that they only sell for churches because they're, they're, they're special chairs. You know what? They look just like the ones you're sitting. You can just charge more for yeah, them. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, what's different between your chairs and the chairs I can go to Costco and buy? 
about ten bucks. Yeah, about ten bucks. There's nothing better. There's a but we're a Christian company. Great, you're a Christian working in the world and you've got a business. If your product is as good as the other product, I'll buy it. If it's the same price, if not, I'm gonna go with what's better. Uh, that that's a big push. You gotta hire this these people because they're Christians. They're from our church. Are they any good at their job? That's the question. And you'd be amazed at how many of them are, well, no, you didn't use us because, you know, and they've got a, it's like, dude, you're terrible at your job. Why would I hire you? Because I'm a Christian from your church. Not a good reason. Not a good reason. Not, look, I, I'll, I'll help you out, but, you know, I'm not, you know. It should be the opposite. Right. It, it, it's not a reason to do it, but again, that's, that's why we got to, A, live at peace, but B, we need to, we, we need to be a little more. In that. All right, let's move on. Now we'll get into the meat of this. Here we go. First Thessalonians 5 14 through 22. Somebody read that. And we urge you, brothers, and admo admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good. To one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Do not, <clears throat> do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. All right. Um. Do you understand the word prophecy? There's great confusion uh, about what that means. The idea here is prophecy doesn't refer to the telling of the future. That's normally what we think of, is that it's a foretelling. Um, prophecy is not fortune telling. Prophecy is, prophets were the spokesmen for God. When they would show up, they started by, thus says the Lord. They were God's spokesmen. They came from every walk of life. And some were prophets for their whole lives. Others were called upon to deliver one message that God gave them. And that's what a prophet is. is they pronounce the words of the Lord. They came to them in visions. They came in dreams. Nowadays, and we talked about it last week, we, we spend so much time looking towards the end. What's the end times going to be? When it's going to, and we want to talk about prophecy. Well, prophecy is those that are teaching what God has said. They bring it to the people. They've got the message. Standing here, bringing the word of God to you makes me a prophet. I am preaching the very words of God out of his book. To you, that's prophecy. Has not, I'm not telling you about anything about the future right now, am I? So we, we need to change our mindset. When we see this here, do not despise prophecy. It's not talking about future things. It's people who have a message that God has put on their soul. Evangelists, you know those those guys? They, they've got that burning desire to tell you. Have you ever met somebody like that or sat next to them mm -hmm. on a plane? They just got to tell you about Jesus. He's a prophet. He's got the gospel burning in him. And he's, got it. he's telling everybody and anybody he knows. That comes from God. 
He's motivated from God. He's been sent to do that. People like Chris and myself, we, we, we read and we study because we want to be able to teach the word of God. That makes us prophets in that sense. The idea that, that prophecy is about the future is only occasional. Uh, they're, they're, and most of them weren't about what was going to happen. Um, they were teaching what should have happened. If you, if you read them, many of them are telling you, well, this is going to happen because you've not done these things. And they teach the Old Testament law to the people and give them the alternative that God's going to punish them. So do not despise teaching. I think we despise a lot of teaching in church. We don't want God, we don't want anybody to meddle with the way we want to live life uh, and stuff. But this is an interesting list. If we back out and look at this whole list, um, we see a lot of things. Rejoice always. Um, don't repay anybody evil for evil. Encourage the faint-hearted. Don't be idle. All of those. Paul makes this a huge deal because we need to understand the times. He was living in. And in order to do that, we need to go back to about 100 and 180 BC. So think this is Paul. He's in modern Thessalonica. Well, he's not in Thessalonica, but he's in the Greek world in like probably 64 BAD. You gotta go back to you know almost 200 years before when the book of Sirach was written. Uh, the wisdom of Sarek um, was a very popular um, writing of, the, of that day coming forward. It's part of your Apocrypha. So if any of you have got an old-fashioned Bible, mm -hmm. uh, it'll have the Apocrypha in the back, and you can find the wisdom of uh, and or Ecclesiastics. Not Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastic. Um, and you can turn there. We're going to be in chapter 12. And we're going to look at chapter 12, verses 1 to 18. Like I said, this book was popular. So 200 years before the time of Christ, um, this book was written. It is not scripture. and uh, But it was part of the wisdom of the day. And the Pharisees, who were the teachers, would draw upon this, and this is kind of how they live life. So let's look at this for a couple minutes here. If you do good, know to whom you do it, and you will be thanked for your good deeds. Do good to the, to the devout, and you will be repaid. If not by them, certainly by the Most High. No good comes to one who persists in evil, or to one who does not give alms. Give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. Hold back their bread, and do not give it to them, for by means of it, they might subdue you. Then you will receive twice as much evil for all the good you have done to them. For the Most High also hates sinners 
and will inflict punishment on the ungodly. Give to the one who is good, but do not help the sinner. I'll pause there for a second. Um, what does this sound like? Modern day, like if somebody's good, you can help them. If they're not good, don't help them. They're not worthy of your help. Sure. Sounds like today. What else does it sound like? Like it's trying to be scripture. Yeah, it sounds like it's trying to be scripture. Yeah. All right, let's flip it. What's the inverse of this? Love your enemy. Love your enemy. Matthew chapter 5, the whole Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. It is exactly the opposite of this, isn't it? If somebody wants your cloak, give them your coat, too. If somebody makes you go one mile, go two. If he strikes you on the cheek, turn the other. And it's totally contrary to this. This is the wisdom of the age. And Jesus was the counter to this. Everything he said was contrary to this. And here's Paul. The synagogues were places of great contention where they would argue and discuss. Now, the churches, our churches have become that way too. We want to argue over the minutia, you know. Belly buttons. Yeah, belly buttons and stuff like And we don't even want to help each other. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're one of those people. You're in the same church together, really? But no, because this is the world's wisdom. This makes sense in a worldly sense, doesn't it? Help others who are helpful people. Everybody wanted to help Mother Teresa, whatever she needed, right? Who in their right mind would want to help Hitler? Hmm. But we're told to love our enemies. Oh, how hard is that when he's like <laughs> somebody who's quite evil? Yeah, but we show Christian, we show God's grace and love to the world when we do it, don't we? Let's continue on with the wisdom. A friend is not known in prosperity, nor is an enemy hidden in adversity. One's enemies are friendly when one prospers, but an adversary, even one's friends, disappear. Never trust your enemy, for like corrosion in copper, so is his wickedness. Even if he humbles himself and walks bowed down, take care to be on your guard against him. Be to him like one who polishes a mirror. To be sure, it does not become completely tarnished. Do not put him next to you, or he may overthrow you and take your place. Do not let him sit at your right hand, or else he may try to take your own seat. And at last you will realize the truth of my words and be stung by what I have said. That sounds like good, right? Hmm. I mean, from a worldly standpoint... That, that's pretty good advice, right? But it's totally contrary to what Jesus teaches, doesn't it? That we as Christians, the business world would lap this up. Man, if I was going around teaching this, I'd have speaking engagements coming out everywhere. Because that's solid, good advice. Particularly in business, right? But this is totally contrary to the way Christ told us to live life. Totally contrary to the way Paul teaches the, the whole idea of the Good Samaritan. Well, everybody else avoided the guy, remember? Except for the Samaritan who came through and 
helped him. And Jesus said, that's what being a neighbor is like. This makes a division, doesn't it? This is how we divide, and then we're conquered by Satan. It goes on. We're not done yet. I'll give you some more. Who pities a snake charmer when he's bitten? Or those who go near wild animals? So no one pities a person who associates with a sinner and becomes involved in the other's sin. This is why nobody goes to bars that are Christians, right? But we're supposed to hang out with the sinners. We're supposed to help them. How can we help them if we're not living where they're at? Yeah, there, there's, we, we've built this whole concept. Well, here's where it's coming from. We have to keep ourselves from these evil people. Let's continue. He stands by you for a while, but if you falter, he will not be there. An enemy speaks sweetly with his lips, but in his heart he plans to throw you into a pit. An enemy may have tears in his eyes, but if he finds an opportunity, he will never have thought, uh, will never have enough of your blood. If evil comes upon you, you will find him there ahead of you, pretending to help you, he will trip you up. Then he will shake his head and clap his hands and whisper much and show his true face. Is it true? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Not in all cases, but yeah, this is what the world does. And so we seal ourselves off from it because we don't want to be connected to those kind of people, right? But that's not what Jesus said, did he? He said, go be friends with them. And when they do this, love them anyway. You Go know, on, Andy. You never know if the Lord's putting you right there and then in that place for a specific reason. You're the, you're the light in that darkness at that moment, and God can turn that good for bad, uh, bad for good. Yeah. He uses it. This is exactly what Chris was talking about last week, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, it it's a hard life. To be used by other people and know you're going to be used. You look at it and go, you know, if I make friends with them, they're going to abuse me. But for the sake of Christ, I could be that person. So I make friends with them. Mm -hmm. And I get it used and used and maybe even abused. And at some points I have to say, no, I can't, I can't do it anymore. But even to our own destruction, if that's what God has brought us to. Because let's face it, uh, how many Christians have suffered martyrdom knowing that they were going to be martyred and did it anyway? Because that's what God called them to. And see, it's contrary to this wisdom. This was the wisdom of Jesus' day. It was the wisdom of Paul's day. It's the wisdom of our day. Here's what is the counter to it. Here's what Paul is teaching us. Here's what God calls us to. First of all, we need to be accountable to each other. We hate the idea that somebody else will know our deepest, darkest secrets. We don't even want them to know what's going on in our lives generally. You know, there was an age, and most of you in here can probably remember it, when you would have the pastors or the elders to your house for dinners and stuff like that. You know, you'd come and visit a church, and you would get a visitation. 
No, everybody wants to come to our offices. Nobody wants us to come to their houses. Because nobody wants us to see that they don't have, uh, and, and I blame Facebook for it because that's about when it all started, that whatever persona they have on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, isn't real. It's a facade. And if somebody comes to our house, they'll see that we don't have it all together. That, you know, the living room is messy. That the little kids have stuff everywhere. And it isn't this picture-perfect <coughs> family. And so nobody does that anymore. We get, I get requests all the time that they want to meet with the pastor. Oh, okay. Well, you want us to come in the evening? Oh, we'll come to your office and, and all that. I think I've been, I've been to two homes in the six years that I've been here, people. And I've had countless visits to the office. Everything has changed. Everything has changed because, well, we don't, our, our, we, we've got this system where we can show what we want people to see, and it isn't all, all that great. We, we've darkened the windows of the houses, don't look in. Just look at my, my front page and see the way life is going and how it, look, we're all messed up. <laughs> we are all sinners. Life ain't great. The house ain't always clean. There are dishes in the sink. Guess what? I live here. It is not um, Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Uh, I've been to people's homes that, are, that have that. And you know what? They don't live at their house. It's a waste station to shower, put on new clothes, and go somewhere else. They don't. We had, we, we had friends growing up. Um, the living room was roped off, literally. <laughs> Velvet rope. Nobody goes in there. Until it's until it's perfect. My mother's living room was that way. Yeah, we never used mother. the living room unless it was company. No, my grandmother's did. But it was this whole thing that this room is kept. It's special for special company. We couldn't bring any toys in it. Yeah. Well, then we grew up with that, and then came along Facebook, and so now we could show it. Uh, but nobody nobody actually comes, and we just don't even bother cleaning it anymore or dusting it once a week. And all that we just we just have pictures of it. You can see them online. But let's meet at a coffee shop. Let's meet. Yeah. I hate coffee shop coffee. You know what's the best coffee? The coffee you make in your kitchen. We sit at the kitchen table. That's how my parents work. People would come. Everybody sat in the kitchen. And now the five of us are all adults. We go to each other's houses. You know where everybody sits? In the kitchen. I have the smallest kitchen. I have a kitchen that is just uh, it's a breakfast nook. And it's a galley kitchen attached to it. And I got a little table, and four of us can squeeze around it if we want to. And when anybody comes to the house, no matter how many people it is, everybody wants to cram in there to sit. For whatever it is, it's like, why? I have a dining room with big table, lots of chairs. I have a living room with beautiful stuff. And everybody's like, oh, it's a beautiful living room. Nobody wants to sit in there. I want to sit in the kitchen. That's where the food is. Well, we're not having food. I pick the food out. I'll put it in there. I don't care. We can eat in any room of the house you want to eat in. It's the heart of your home. But it is. And we, we yeah, so we do. But this is, the, this is what has happened. We need to be accountable to each other. And in order to be accountable to each other, we've got to be real. We've got to let people into our kitchens. Because I'll tell you what, some of the deepest conversations happen at kitchen tables. They don't happen in pastor's church offices. They don't happen at coffee shops. Oh, they, there's some deep conversations at coffee shops. But the deepest conversations, they take place in people's kitchens. 
think of that this week. All right, people are to hold each other accountable. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make this point as hard as I can make it. People, not the pastors, not the elders, not the church leadership. People, that's you guys sitting out here. My job is to train and teach you for good works. A good work is holding others accountable. It isn't my job to hold everybody accountable. You guys need to be connected to each other in such manners that you know each other's lives enough to do that, to say, hey, how's it going? Because there's a lot more of you than there is of me. As Chris was talking last week, we look at the, the counts and he's realized that it's not a small church that there are probably 500 people. Almost every Sunday, we are over 300 people here, and, most, and that means that it's 250-plus adults. 250-plus adults, we have three pastors. And Steve doesn't count because he deals with all the youth and 20-somethings. <laughs> so really, it's two of us for 250 adults. That means we each get 175. I cannot keep up with 175 adults, neither can Chris. We can add more staff, but how many staff do we, can we have? I mean, there's a lot. That's why the system is about everybody in the church connecting with those around them and knowing. It's the whole idea for this neighborhood. We don't care physical location. It's the people that are connected to each other. Us in here, this is a neighborhood. We're connected to each other. We should be connecting and talking and checking on each other. And you know what? It goes both ways. It isn't just me checking on you guys. It's you guys checking on each other and checking on me. Because we're all in this together. People holding each other accountable. We need to be patient doing it. So you have to go and say that. Come yes. On. <laughs> because you know what? I am the most impatient person. <laughs> And that, is, that one is for me if there's ever one for me. You I, I'm that, like, Why can't you see this? It's right there. <laughs> I read it to you. You didn't get it? All right, let me read it to you again. I, I, I've got to learn patience. I'm very impatient. Ask my children. We're going to ask Taylor. She will tell you. <laughs> oh, I am. I'm like, why don't they get it? Why didn't nobody see that? I, yeah, it's because you know what? This is my gift. This is what I do. It's like, all right, you gotta wait. You gotta wait for the Holy Spirit to work in people's lives. Why doesn't he work on my timetable? I was always because taught, <laughs> I was always taught not to pray for patience. God will give you patience. Oh yeah. Usually that's what I end up traffic jam. Give it to me now. <laughs> exactly. Apparently somebody's learning patience right now. <laughs> you must have hit the button on it. And it's not me because he's yeah. over there. Uh, be connected to Christ continually. It talks about praying without ceasing. It, it's been um, I can see it. It's, I don't know why it's beeping, but he's standing right there. Be, be connected to Christ continually. This whole idea of, of prayer, it, it, it's, it's not like a magic thing. There's nothing mystical about it and all that. It is a communications. It's like picking up your cell phone and calling your wife and saying, hey, um, how's your day going? What's going on? Why did you call? Well, yeah, that's what my wife would be like. Why did you call? What's for dinner? Yeah, but, yeah. It's being, it's, it's connecting. We think of prayer as, okay, I've got to go in my little closet and i got to do two or three hours. And, and, and you know what it is? It's walking along 
having those conversations in your mind with God and sharing life with him. Do you share life with Jesus? It says he's our friend. You meet your friends for coffee, don't you? You call them on the phone. You text them. We have constant... You know when I had my best prayer time? Riding the elevator in our apartment in Korea. Because it was 11 stories and it wasn't a very fast <laughs> elevator. I could talk on the way down, talk on the way up. And it was a time to connect and reflect with him. It was a great use of elevator time. Do you do this? Do you, are you connected to him continuously? It's not, okay, I'm going to do this. We, we got this idea from the Victorian era, you know, these... Old preachers who would get up at the crack of dawn and spend five hours in prayer and all that. Great. Good for them. You know what? I'm not a morning person to start with. But that's not, it's not like you do it. I did my prayer time and I'm done for the day. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It's an all-day thing. I see an accident. I want to talk to, talk to my Lord about it. Hey, are you aware of this? Sure you are. But I want to pray for those people. I get a phone call from one of you. I'm going to stop what I'm going to do, and I'm going to talk to him about it. We're connected to him continually. It should be an ongoing conversation, just as it is with your friends and your spouses. Start treating him that way, and you'll find that you talk to him a whole lot more. And it'll change your views, because he's going to have a whole lot more to say back through life. And you're going to go, that's Christ in my life. He's doing this. He's working here. Wow, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, that's what, was going to, that's what goes on. And then finally, we need to be receptive to teaching. Not just you, me too. We all need to be receptive. We've never learned it all. You know, 25 years in ministry, I've spent 25 years studying scripture. I have taught it in high school and middle school level and college level. And I'll tell you what, I'm always finding something new. We need to be receptive. We need to be open to it. There are a lot of people today who have this mentality that I've been through it. Well, great. Do it again. <laughs> because it's over. I mean, you look at how often Jesus taught the same lessons over and over and over again. Guess what? We don't get them the first time. Three R's. We get a part of it. Three R's of teaching, right? Repeat, yeah. repeat, repeat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you what I'm going to tell you. Let me tell you what I'm telling you. And then I'll tell you what I told you. And you might remember... A 23rd percent of That I told you something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'll know that I said something at least. But be patient about it. Yeah, I know. 85% <laughs> of teaching is repetition. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because we just don't get it. What did you say? People should be at peace among themselves, doing all they can to guard against any differences. But love of peace must not make us wink at sin. We have a love of peace right now, trying to live together. And because of that, we are, as a nation, winking at sin. Actually, I don't think we're winking anymore. I think we've embraced Promoting it. Promoting it. <laughs> yeah. Um, peace is a good thing. Sin is a horrible thing. And we cannot allow that. That's why we need to be accountable to others. Because others need to be telling us, you know what, that's wrong. And here's why. And when they don't, we're told by Christ himself that if they won't change, then you need to take it to the church leadership and they need to do something and come to them. And that's where the whole thing of church discipline. But we don't want to be disciplined, so we don't discipline others. So we don't hold them accountable. And we just 
look the other way. We wink at that sin. Oh, it's okay. It's just a little thing. It destroys churches. It destroys bodies. Comment, question. I have one question. Yeah. When you were talking about prophecies, uh -huh. um, I know back uh, years ago, people would come up to you with a prophecy or you know, say, oh, this is what God said. Well, I met, there was this woman that I met. I had never known her. My son had just passed away. She came up to me and she said, weep not for your son. Weep tears of joy because he's up here enjoying all the beautiful things. So that gave me a lot of comfort. <clears throat> now, does that, you know, is that something that you just ignore? Or do you think God told her to tell me that? Could very well be. You didn't know the gal. She could very well have been an angel comforting you. It's possible. It's all possible. You have to look at the source. We're told to test those things. Is it contrary in any way to the established word of God? Then it's probably not from God. But if it isn't contrary, you know, people get things. I mean, we see it with Jesus. We talked about it a, a couple months back. Um, two people walked up to Mary and Joseph and made statements about Jesus, who had never met them, didn't know them, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit to make those prophetic statements. It happens. It happens. People will walk up and tell you things. I know of people who walked up and gave somebody money, and they didn't know why they were doing it, but it, they did it. They felt moved to do it, and they did it. And it was a total blessing to others. It, it, it just happens. We have to test the source and see. Yeah, totally possible. Okay, let us move along because we're going to run out of time. I got about five minutes. Hmm. First Thessalonians chapter five, twenty-three through twenty-four. So let me read that. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful; he will surely do it. I love this. This is probably the most exciting part of all this. Because it isn't about us. We're going to be sanctified. Not by our efforts, but by God himself. We're supposed to try. We're going to fail. We're sinners. We can't help it. We're going to fail. But we're called to try. We're called to do. Christ has given us things to do, a way to live. You're not going to live perfectly. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you can do well in life. Because you're not striving for that perfection. Just strive to be better than you were a minute ago. Yesterday. Because God is going to sanctify us in the end. All of it's going to come to a head when we're raised. And we get new sinless bodies. Whatever they look like, I don't know. But he's going to sanctify us. Because he will separate us from sin. The sin is going to be removed. We can't be sanctified with sin in us. All we can do is keep trying. And trying and trying. And we'll fall and we pick ourselves up. We ask forgiveness and we move on. See, that's why we're supposed to be accountable to each other. Because we are called to help one another. The problem is, is well, we don't want to fall in front of somebody else. 
Guess what? That's the perfect place to fall. In front of a brother or sister in the Lord who you're friends with, who will hold, pull you back up and help you. Because if we're not doing that, we're living the way Sarah said we are. Should. We kick them when they're down. We take their money. Take their seat. Take their place. No, we're supposed to pick each other up. See how that life changes? Pick each other up. That, that's, that's so Christ, isn't it? So you fall. And you see it. And help them out. Pull them up. We work together. Separated from sin is God's job. I can't take sin out of my life. I can shun it. I can turn away from it through his strength. But it doesn't go away, does it? It would be so much easier if when we accepted Christ that we just were perfect. But he doesn't do that. He leaves us to struggle. Some of us, for 30, 40, 50 years, we came to the Lord and we're still struggling with the same things. Somewhere in our world, we got the idea that, well, then you're not doing it right. No, no, you're doing it right. It's the everyday battle that Paul talks about over and over again. He talks about it here in Thessalonians, in Romans, in Corinthians, in Ephesians. Paul tells us that it is a struggle of life, and we're not going to overcome it. We're going to endure it, and we're going to endure it a little better every day until Jesus comes. God will separate us from sin. Here's the other thing that I love about this. Ready? God will make us blameless. We aren't blameless. We aren't sinless. He's going to do it. That's what salvation is, isn't it? He declares us righteous. And then he says, go on and live your life. And in the end, I'll make you blameless. And you'll get to stand before the Father. Hasn't happened yet. I don't have to make it happen. Nobody can do it for me. God will do it in his time. And in order for me to become blameless, I'm going to have to die and be raised again, just as he was. Wow. Hmm. Quite an idea, isn't it? So contrary to the modernist thinking on Christianity. God will make us blameless. God will separate us from our sins. It's all about him doing it to us. We can't do it. We can't fix it ourselves, and we can't get it any other way. Comment, question. All right. A couple of things to take with us for the week. <clears throat> First of all, we should treat other church members in a way that honors God, even if you don't agree with them, <laughs> even if you don't like them. We should treat them in a way that honors God. That's enough said right there. You can spend the rest of your life just working on that. <laughs> but I'm not done with you yet. It's kind of like that Ginsu commercial. <laughs> Our pursuit of goodness and thankfulness honors God. So when we do this one, God's honored. We want to honor God. We can go down there and sing all the fancy songs that we want. But that's not what honors God, does it? Oh, he receives the praise and worship, but that's kind of like the cherry on top. If you're not pursuing goodness and thankfulness by helping and serving others and honoring others, then all that singing and, and all that, it's just empty noise. We're told that in the Old Testament. They brought sacrifice but they were worshiping other idols. God's like, I don't care. It's, it's nothing to me. 
because the rest of it isn't there either. So we need to be doing this one first, and then the second one happens automatically. And then finally, our confidence is in God's faithfulness and ability to sanctify and keep us. It's not what we're doing. We're not doing this in order to be sanctified. God is going to sanctify us. It will come. We're doing it because he told us to do it, and we're trying to live the life that he wants us to live. It leads to sanctification, but we won't be sanctified until he chooses to do it in either coming back or raising us from the dead. Let's close in prayer. Father, <clears throat> we know that you work in the world. Lord, we know that you work in our lives. Father, help us to let you work in our lives through other people. Help us to work in other people's lives for you. Father, that means we have to put down barriers and change our ways of thinking. Lord, let us realize that it's what you're doing and not us. We're simply the vessel that you choose to use in other people's lives. Let us be that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.